Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. You're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, Phil Goldfeder away on assignment. And just want to do a little mini show before we break for the summer. Yes, this is our last episode before the summer break. So if you need your political fix, we're going to be picking it up right before the end of the summer as the election season gets into high year. But a lot of political drama this week, as we previewed last week, the New York State Congressional Primaries... And we have to call it the congressional primaries because, as we mentioned, New York State, for some odd and very unfortunate reason, has two primary days. One for Congress, for federal offices, in the end of June, which I think is about the worst time of year to make somebody go out and vote and pay attention to an election as people are preparing for summer, the end of schools, transition time. Terrible time. In my opinion, if you want low turnout, that is the best time. And then again in September, right at the end end of the summer, uh, another not particularly opportune time, but that's been traditionally the time that we've had it. As Phil explained last week, the reason they had it was enough time before the end of the primary uh, and the general election coming up in the beginning of November to get the ballots out, so they had to move the primary, and in the end, they decided to move it to June. Now, the compromise position was to put it in August, which is also bad because the member of the state legislature is in session in June and it gives incumbents a disadvantage to have to go ahead and simultaneously campaign and be in Albany during the June time. So the proposal was to put it in August, which actually makes a little bit more sense. I mean, I know people are not paying attention much, but it isn't really a transition time that people are really busy. They're actually not that busy. Well, we'll leave it aside. Nobody in New York can really figure out how to make elections run uh, particularly well. And there's so much of a mess of New York state election law with the minor parties, with the petitioning, with the difficulties in getting out on the ballot. Um, no early voting, very difficult absentee bo- voting staff at the polling places, never really quite up to snuff. There's a litany of complaints that could go around with regard to elections, but if you wanted low turnout, this is kind of what you got. If you're many districts, particularly the ones in New York City, where you had some progressive challengers challenging longtime incumbents, or on the Republican side, I guess, a more populist challenger challenging an incumbent, uh, you got that here this past Tuesday, and what was expected to actually be on the Republican side a competitive race, and many thought many of us thought it was going to be competitive, although I think last week we certainly predicted, I thought that the incumbent Dan Donovan was going to win and was going to take it, but he didn't just win, he won uh, huge, he actually, I think, doubled up basically two to one, about 65 to 35 percent uh, over Mike Grimm, winning uh the Brooklyn portion of the district, uh, quite handily, uh, also uh, 24, about 2,500 votes to 900 votes. Staten Island portion of the district, about 10,300 votes to 6,300 votes. Total margin uh, right there of over 5,000 votes. Um I think a lot of people wanted to play up the Trump story, wanted to play up the Michael Grimm backstory and the whole thing. But and there were a lot of, uh, you know, Mike Caputo, who's a a very savvy uh, Trump Roger Stone guy, 
did a good job getting media attention for Mike Grimm. I don't know that Mike Grimm was able to overcome. I mean, the thing here, everybody blames the polling. The two polls that were out, you have to take with a grain of salt in this race. The number one poll was the DCCC poll. The Democrats had an interest, for sure, in this race to play up Mike Grimm and to want him to be the nominee and to want him to face the Democrat who looks like will now be, uh, who will be Max Rose in the general election. This will be competitive uh, district, most likely, just because of the general mood in New York City, even though Staten Island being different, I think uh, it's going to be a tough race in the general. But they wanted Mike Grimm as their opponent so they could beat him because he'd be especially vulnerable. Dan Donovan is not the optimal opponent, and I think you got to give Dan Donovan the edge going into the general, especially having run a very effective primary race. But remember, all in all, the total turnout here amongst Republicans is about 20,000 votes, actually even less than 20,000 votes. So it's not a, a big number of people that came out to vote in this election overall. What do we take away? Well, the hype there, the hype in this race was absolutely a little more than the reality. And number two is the celebrity Trump people like Anthony Scaramucci, like Mike Caputo, like some of the other Trump people who came in to support Mike Grimm uh, were no match for the actual, for Trump himself. And that was the other thing about the New York One poll that was came that had Mike Grimm up by 10 points is that it was taken really before the effect of the Trump endorsement of, and we've seen this over and over, is that you can try and be Trumpy and you can try and be Trump and you can try and kind of outlove the president and the other, but if the president himself loves you back, that's the most important thing. And the president showed the love for Dan Donovan and being immensely popular on Staten Island, that was, I think, a very crucial factor. That And then Rudy Giuliani came, and then others, of course, had always been standing by uh, Dan Donovan's side. Interesting, I think it was on the last weekend of the race, uh, Nicole Maliotakis, an assemblywoman who was the Republican mayoral candidate in New York City, she did a uh, anti-property tax event and rally and i think dan donovan was you know scheduled to be there mike grimm crashed the party and uh you know just kind of evidence of the way mike grimm ran his very scrappy campaign of showing up everywhere doing everything but the baggage that he had with regard to being an ex-felon was particularly difficult and it's always tough to kind of make the case for voters that you should throw out the honest, hardworking guy that you have in favor of the more colorful but kind of problematic guy that you once had and had to resign. So good good win for Dan Donovan and good win for the establishment, for the, for the Republican establishment, I think would be very problematic going into the fall with Mike Grimm on the ballot. Some other races... Um, that we had around before we get to the big one, which is the I mean the really really big one that actually national news, etc. Is um, we had the more liberal progressive candidate uh, to face Pete King, uh, Gretchen Shirley beat Dwayne Gregory. Now Dwayne Gregory, you might probably don't know, he's the presiding officer of the Suffolk County Legislature. He's an African American in that district. One would have 
um, expected on the Democratic side that the establishment, particularly in a place like Suffolk County and uh, parts of Nassau County, would have been enough to for this for Dwayne Gregory to be the nominee. But that, in fact, did not happen. And the more liberal, more progressive um, Gretchen Shirley won there, and um, that will they will face Pete King. That's a very uphill uphill battle for that. In on the first district, uh, you have a gentleman named Perry Gershon, who uh, a wealthy self funding candidate uh, out there to challenge Lee Zeldin. Now, the interesting thing from a Jewish perspective is that Gershon uh, ran with the support of J Street. Now, there are not a lot of Jews in this district. It's not really considered to be a Jewish uh, district, despite the fact that the Jew- a Jewish Republican holds the seat uh, and in Lee Zeldin. But Lee Zeldin, probably being one of the most conservative voices on foreign policy, particularly most hawkish on Israel, will now have an interesting foil of kind of running and raising money nationally against a J Street opponent, uh, Perry Gershon. I think that's going to be particularly interesting for him. Um, and then now we have, just take it to New York City and the big, oh, uh, of course, New York 19, like the jungle primary to go ahead and face uh, John Faso, uh, won by Antonio Delgado. Um, now, the interesting thing there is very, you know, it, it, winning that race without a lot of votes. I mean, as a nine way primary, you're not really going to get that many votes. To begin with, and you're you're basically now having spent a lot of money to go ahead and win that race. You're facing John Faso, now a well-funded incumbent who knows the district well, who has now. Uh, I know this is a prime Democratic target, but we're definitely looking at the fact that. Um, you definitely, you definitely look at the fact that the, that the Democrat is potentially handicapped by that. Um, he received just under eight thousand votes, actually seventy, about seventy-seven hundred votes in this primary. Um, his next uh, opponent, Garrett Rhodes, was endorsed by the New York Times, got sixty-two hundred votes, and then it drops off. Another one, Pat Ryan, the third-place guy, also got almost sixty-two hundred votes, actually, and then uh, kind of drops off. From there, now there was a tremendous amount of enthusiasm on the Democratic side in this primary, um, but the question is, you know, how does Delgado consolidate his Democratic support and move forward uh, to go ahead and face uh, Faso? In the, and Faso, of course, not having a primary, was able to kind of uh, coast on this. Now we get to New York City. There were a number of upstart challengers, the challenging long time uh, incumbents. And, you know, I think part of this, and the incumbents and the establishment should kind of look at this and say, you know, a lot, a lot of the perception is that incumbents always want low turnout. But the double-edged sword of the low turnout here is the fact that in a low turnout primary, you don't know, it's generally going to be the most activist, the most committed who are going to turn out. And that's really what happened to Joe Crowley here in the uh, in his really stunning loss. Um, just well, Let's put this in perspective. I know we spent a while ago talking about how 
Eric Cantor had lost his primary in Virginia to an upstart named Dave Bratt, and obviously wasn't paying attention, wasn't tending to things at home, and it was a shocking loss. It was the first time a majority leader had ever lost. Well, Joe Crowley was the number four Congress uh, Democrat in Congress, also rumored to be a future speaker should Pelosi step aside. So really looking at, uh, really eyeing the brass door, the brass ring, whatever, whatever the expression is, kind of looking at that. And then there was this idea that he would, okay, so he would have a primary, he'd spend a little bit of money from it, but, you know, the primary in places like Queens and Brooklyn and the Bronx and the Manhattan are kind of akin to winning the general election because the Republicans don't always field a strong candidate for most of these congressional seats, or sometimes don't field a candidate at all. And Crowley... Uh, you know, has been spent a lot of time around the country, spent a lot of time on TV, spent a lot of time, uh, actually lives in Virginia with his family, which I think was a big knock. And a lot of people should pay attention about whether they should be living in the district, which is very difficult. Uh, obviously, if you want to see your kids on a regular basis. So being a member of Congress is not quite as much fun as one might think. You certainly hear that from the members on a personal basis. But also out of touch with the demographic changes of the district. It's a majority-minority district. Joel Crowley being an, uh, a white Irish guy, the district used to be, have concentrations of Irish in uh, neighborhoods like Woodside and Sunnyside, Queens, and um, Eastern Bronx. You know, a lot of white ethnics, not necessarily all Irish, but the Eastern Eastern Bronx, you know, neighborhoods of Throgs Neck, and, you know, still... Uh, Pelham, Pelham Gardens, Pelham Bay, Pelham, Pelham Parkway, those areas were always looked at as kind of solid enclaves, but those have been becoming more and more minority over the years, and Crowley was kind of viewed, despite the fact that he was the chairman of the Queen's Democratic Party, although it might have hurt him in the Bronx as well, uh, a lot of, it, he actually got schlacked in Queens itself. Um, he was losing some of those old Irish neighborhoods, uh, two to one, and three to one in some of those precincts, and he just never recovered. I mean, it was a, it was actually a, a huge win when you think about it. Uh, here is a Democrat in the leadership uh, who couldn't win his own primary. Now, there are a couple lessons here for this. Number one, that we should take away. Number one, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the uh, the winner, who is now probably most likely to win the. Uh, I mean, Crowley could get on the ballot as an independent, but he's clearly not going to do that. Um, but, you know, she has, she's pretty far left. And when I'm talking about pretty far left, um, her positions on just generally Medicare for all, government-funded college for all, mandatory paid maternity and sick leave, abolish ICE, publicly funded elections, and she also apparently wants a federal jobs guarantee. That means everybody should have a job. Uh, but the federal government has to ensure they have a job. But most concerning from my perspective or from our many people's perspective Listening to this show is her positions on Israel, which are certainly outside of what has long been the Democratic consensus. Joe Crowley was a stalwart pro-Israel Democrat, and recently she said, she put on Twitter uh, about what was going on in Gaza, this is a massacre. I hope my peers have the moral courage to call it such. No state or entity is absolved of mass shootings of protesters. There is no justification. Palestinian people deserve basic human dignity as anyone else. Democrats can't be silent about this anymore. This is a massacre. So, 
all I'm going to say here is these are scary words if you're a pro-Israel Democrat or if you're a Jewish Democrat. These are scary words, actually, if you're a pro-Israel American because it means that the ground is shifting underneath a lot of us towards a very radical, progressive agenda that is consumed by identity politics, you know, meaning that if you are white or Jewish or, you know, not a minority ethnic, you are kind of outside and pushed outside and you can no longer represent the people. Um, plus the fact the making the common cause in, let's say, the Linder Sarsour fashion with uh, people in with the Palestinians and being anti-Israel is... Um, you know, it's very troubling. And Hank Scheinkoff put it, I think, very well. Uh, Hank Scheinkoff, one of the you know deans of New York political consulting or political consultants everywhere, uh, he said this trend expedites the long-running divorce proceedings between the Democratic Party and Israel. Now, perhaps Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will come to her, her sense a little bit and nuance her view and try and learn a little bit more about Israel and learn a little more about what was going on in Gaza and learned a little bit more about why Israel needs to defend themselves and why it's not okay to just cross a border or to send firebombs across a border to burn fields on the other side and why it would be okay to protect your citizens from people who want to kill them. Perhaps she will, perhaps she won't, but losing Joe Crowley, who is a tremendous voice on the Democratic side for Israel and for common sense Middle East policy, whatever that stands for these days in the Democratic Party, is a huge loss and a potentially seismic shift where a lot of politicians are now going to say to themselves, ooh, maybe I need to rethink my opposition to BDS. Maybe I need to you know, support that a little bit. Maybe I have to go ahead and uh, speak out on, quote unquote, Israel's injustices. And maybe I, you know, I'm not willing to go ahead and support Israel when it's necessary because my district doesn't really care, or even if they do care, uh, or if they do care, it's they, they care in the Bernie Sanders type of way. Uh, that Bernie Sanders wing with regards to the Democratic Party is ascendant, and it's very troublesome for people out there. Even if you're a Republican like me, and you're happy to contrast the way the Republican Party views and treats Israel versus the way many Democrats do, I still want Israel to be a bipartisan issue. I still want Democrats to care about Israel and to want to defend Israel as much as possible. So from my perspective, very, very troubling. More, Even more troubling is that apparently a major volunteer for uh, Ocasio-Cortez's campaign was a gentleman named Thomas Lopez-Pierre. You may not remember him. Because, but he recently, last year, ran in a city council primary against Mark Levine, and he, his whole platform was about greedy Jewish landlords. In fact, it might shock you to hear that I'm saying greedy Jewish landlords, but he actually said that. Like nobody would go ahead in the past and identify greedy Jewish landlords. Because it's offensive and it's bigoted and it's wrong, but this guy has no problem with it. And that's kind of his agenda now. And he was in many of the shots on election night uh, alongside and has given some speeches. Now, maybe it could be shameless self-promotion on his part, 
but from my perspective, uh, from my perspective, this is a very troubling trend that we've seen on the Democratic Party side of you know progressives making common cause with not just anti-Israel, not just anti, and that's loving, but actual robust and virulent anti-Semitism, and that's what you have here. Uh, the other races uh, could have been close. Yvette Clark uh, uh, sh- uh, survives a very spirited challenge from a, a much younger, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try, uh, in central Brooklyn. I actually thought that perhaps he was going to pull it out. Um, from what I understand, very small turnout from the Jewish community in the district, whether it was um, uh, in, in the eastern side of uh, a Flatbush, Midwood, where that's the district, as well as Crown Heights. Um, and I don't know which way the Jewish community was. I think that in the end, they were probably with Clark because uh, the challenger uh, was not partic- was was viewed not necessarily as pro-Israel. But it's kind of funny because Yvette Clark has not really been a exactly a, a big uh, pro-Israel uh, stalwart out there. And uh, the last one, Karen Maloney, uh, survives a challenge from Siraj Patel. That was a much larger turnout than some of the other districts. And uh, that's the only district that actually does vote uh, quite a bit. And that one was kind of never in doubt. Now, on to the bigger news. Uh, President Trump has announced that he is going to be meeting Vladimir Putin, Helsinki, Finland, on the heels of a NATO summit. And, you know, this is kind of, I hope, I hope that somebody has counseled the president after what happened at the G7, that the optics, at least around the world, I don't know, I'm sure it plays some well to some people here on this side, is that the optics of sitting down with your friends, having a fight with them, uh, disparaging them on the way out the door, particularly your host, and then going ahead and being chummy with the dictator, as he was with uh, North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, is not necessarily American. It's kind of un-American. And doing this is uh, once again, potentially, of going to NATO, and a lot of NATO allies are very nervous about what what position Trump is going to take vis-a-vis NATO, and doing that and going... And then going to meet Putin is might not be the best optics. Once again, I we have this strangeness within this administration of punishing our friends and rewarding uh, our enemies, and it's just, or at least optically, doing that. And uh, it's very troubling. Very troubling from people who you know care about foreign policy and who care about these issues. The only for you know, the, I, I thank God. The friend that has been actually the closest and been rewarded the most has been Israel, but a lot of our other friends have been left uh, have been left to the side. And uh, multilateralism is important. I know the president favors bilateralism, but multilateralism is important. Most importantly, here, and we're going to end with this thought: uh, the president has now found a galvanizing issue as we go forward to the midterms. Basically, given a gift politically, and forget. I mean, I totally understand why. Uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy wants to retire 81 years old. You know, that's it's, it, only in the Supreme Court would somebody be asking, why is he retiring? Or what, it, it's kind of this idea that the Supreme Court justices should kind of go on forever, uh, which they can. They, should, they are free to do. But uh, 
now the Republicans will have a galvanizing issue over the next couple months. The I think the singular achievement of the Trump administration so far has actually been getting Neil Gorsuch onto the court. Doing another one and having another justice on the court will be uh, uh, another uh, seismic event in politics and very, very significant as move forward. I think Republicans are gleeful on the Hill that this is happening because it also excites the base. It excites people. They don't have to, they don't have to think about some of the policy failures that have not happened. And this is something that will allow them to have an achievement potentially going to the midterms. Let's see how quickly this happens. Let's see how quickly who they nominate. Let's see how quickly, but I think rest assured the nomination is likely going to be, uh, it's going to be done quickly, and I think it's going to be done cleanly, as we saw that Gorsuch was done very, um, um, I think, political, handled very well politically, as opposed to a lot of other things the where the White House has not been on message and has not gone ahead and uh, um, gotten things done on the Hill in a, in a clean manner. Um, Obamacare, I mean, all kinds of other things uh, that, have, that, we, that we know about. This will be a, an achievement that will rally a lot of Republicans to the president's side. And I think as a remark, something I, wrote, I, I read is even this White House can't mess this up because it's such an opportunity, such a gift that uh, Justice Kennedy and on the Democratic side, I think they only have themselves to blame to go ahead and, because, and to have dropped the filibuster for, uh, for nominees and... You know, Harry Reid went ahead and made a calculation that he was going to go ahead and do that. And when they were in control of the Senate and uh, now it's going to come back to haunt a lot of Democrats on that side. And we'll have to see what they what might be done or what can be done for them to have a voice in the process, which right now it doesn't seem the Democrats do have or will have, but this will be an important issue as we go into the midterms. And, you know, as, as we've said on this show several times, way too early to make any predictions as far as what might happen. Uh, I think, um, the Republicans will lose, uh, seats. Will they lose enough to lose control of the house? That remains to be seen. Um, certainly, you know, New York 11, as I said, New York 19 are on the Democratic pickup list that they must go ahead and take if they want to take back the House. And I think from these primaries that we saw this week, uh, the Republicans' chances have improved in both of those seats. Okay, well, we'll see you in a couple weeks as we take off for a little summer uh, rest and relaxation. Everybody out there should enjoy their summer. On behalf of Phil Goldfeder, this is Michael Fragan. Here on Spin Class on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.